Jesus told the religious leaders that he was eating with in Luke 14 that their invitation list needed to include the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. As Michael said, the sinners. That's who needs to be coming to dinner. Uh, and the, the kingdom of God, we note from last week, it operates on this principle of unconditional giving. I saw a quote by Joel Green, commentator this week, that struck me a beautiful way that he describes the operating principle of the kingdom is this, uncalculated generosity. And that's what we see. Uh, our text continues with Jesus still in the room. So understand, we're going to begin today in, in Luke 14. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, we're going to be at Luke 14, 15 to 24, and we're still in the room. We're still at dinner with Jesus, with these religious leaders. Michael mentioned that they had invited Jesus there to trap him into saying something, but it doesn't work. And I would picture it this way. It's a room full of male peacocks, preening, 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 you know, for the, uh, the best seat, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus, what does he do? He just starts plucking feathers. He just starts pulling feathers and he says this, and Michael boiled the message, the previous te- context down to this. He said, you will never miss a thing by being humble. That was the precursor to our text today. Now, I didn't intend it this way, but as I began to study this passage, I want you to know that it, it became, at least to me, more of a Bible study than a message, so to speak. That's not a bad thing, but I want to prepare you for that for the next 30 minutes we spend together. We're going to do some Bible study. We're going to look at a historical context. We're going to move in our Bible at least one time to get that historical context. It's going to feel maybe like this, like, wow, we got this piece, got this piece, got this piece, like puzzle pieces that independently don't mean a lot. Uh, But my hope is as we put those pieces together, oh my, (laughs) when the pieces start coming together, we begin, even in this short little story, begin to to, to see a picture of Christ, of redemption, of the gospel, of hope. I mean, for me, there, and I'll say this a few times in the message, there were times I stepped away because I got away from the text. I went, oh my goodness, that's in there. And it's like, it's like a steroid shot of hope when we understand the, the biblical doctrinal underpinnings in our story. And I pray it will be that way for you as well. What I'd like to do is kind of get you in the room, in that room. And so in your mind's eye, just imagine you're there. It's a bit stuffy. You're in this, uh, you know, smaller room, so to speak, with uh, many other religious leaders. You're sitting there, fly on the wall, whatever. Imagine yourself in that room. Jesus is the visiting rabbi. And, and while they wanted to trap him, they, they still give honor to the visiting rabbi. And so they invite this visiting rabbi to go, let's see what he's got. Let's see what he says about this topic. And then let's decide whether we, you know, they're, they're waiting to hear from him. And so when Jesus, in verse 13, Luke chapter 14, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Everyone stops chewing their food. It's uh, because this isn't how it works. You know, this is in their mind. Jesus, this isn't the way it works. This isn't how how we've done it for hundreds and thousands of years. You invite people, you invite clean people. You invite people of means because when you're doing this, you're kind of elevating and you're up there and they got to invite you back. And so this is like a social faux pas. It's like Jesus never went to cotillion and he doesn't know how to make dinner talk, right? And he says this thing and 
It's like and you've been there at a reception or, or party or something. And, and, you know, maybe you've been the person. I've probably been the person at times in the circle. And, and for whatever reason, you know, someone says something so inappropriate, just, just without taste. And everyone in the group who's kind of standing there with their drinks or whatever kind of rolls their eyes. You know, it's like, oh, my God, awkward, you know. Honey, can I go get you something else to drink? You know, you want to get away from it. That's, that, that's what happens. It, 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 Jesus has said this and the, the, the air is still in the room and into this thick silence one foolish soul blurts out uh, what he hopes is a, a, you know, a kind of a safe statement. Let's get the equilibrium back in here, everybody. Come in, we're having dinner. And that's verse 15. I just want you to read that one verse. First of all, verse 15, Luke 14. says, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, an exclamation mark in there. It's, it's like in that awkward conversation, someone just doesn't know what to do. And just kind of, how about that Titan's first pick? That was fabulous, wasn't it? You just kind of, let's all get on something we like, we can agree on. But Jesus' response is, telling because we're going to see in a moment the parable is his response to what this guy says and it's not it's not it's not good <laughs> you know so, you know but Jesus said now here's what I want us to do we've got to understand you know some historical context here um, of what this guy said and what he's thinking and what everybody else knows he said and to do that, I need you to do something for me. Flip back in your Bible, because I'd like you to see this. Go back to Isaiah chapter 25. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 25. As you're flipping back there, uh, you're going, you're actually, every page you flip back, you're going back 700 years, so to speak, okay? So you're going back in a timeline. You're going back 700 years. And Isaiah makes this statement. And I want us to understand this whole banquet conversation is not foreign to them at all. Isaiah is picturing the kingdom, heaven. And how does he picture it? Isaiah 25, verse 6, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Best of the best of the best. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. The veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Now flip forward 700 years back to Luke 14. Understand, Kenneth Bailey writes this, tremendous New Testament scholar, I'll quote from him a number of times. He says, when Jesus starts talking about the banquet, even when the guy said that and Jesus joins it, Jesus is just continuing a 700 year old conversation. This is not new ground they're talking about in this dinner conversation. But what we need to understand is what happened between the time Isaiah said it and the time of Jesus when they're now talking about it. Because what happened, we know, is that Isaiah said it's for all people, this banquet. But over the course of 700 years, the Jews reframed Isaiah's statement. And they came to believe it's for us. You see, it's just, it's just for us. No dirty people. <laughs> no flawed people. No defective people. No no lame, no blind, no cripple, no impoverished, and no Gentiles. That'd be you and me. 
I mean, that's what they came to, that's what they believed. So you understand, when this guy kind of cuts the thick air by saying, you know, well, here's something we all do agree on, blessed it will be when we're all together in the kingdom eating at the king's banquet, and he turns to his buddy next to him, and this rabbi is not there. You know, it's just us that's there. That's what he's thinking when we're there. And it's interesting as Jesus responds to that, okay, I picture like this. Jesus takes out the Ginzu knife. Remember the one that cuts through the radiator hose and cuts it? He and he's just going to cut this guy's statement to pieces. The story itself goes like this. It's got three parts. Uh, there is the guest invitation or guests invited, if you want to say it that way. Uh, then there is, there is the, the guest excuses and then the third part of the story is that the guests are compelled. So you got invitation, excuses, compelled. We're going to walk through it. Track with me on this. Verse 16. Just as Jesus' response. But he said to him, stop, you know, that contrast, here's the toast. And Jesus goes, uh-uh. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited... Come, for everything is ready now. We'll stop there. Guests invited. To understand this, we've got to understand the Middle Eastern dinner protocol, which is not unfamiliar to us at all. Uh, you understand that when you read 16 and 17, 16 is the first invitation, 17 is the second invitation. There are two invitations in a dinner protocol. And so, so the invitations would go out, you're invited to my banquet. Based upon who accepts, then the host <clears throat> knows. This is a huge banquet, by the way. Then the host knows, how, what do I prepare? Uh, we got eight people coming. That's two chickens. We get the chickens. No, you got 12 people coming. That's a goat. Oh my goodness, we got 35. Maybe we got 40 coming. That's a calf. You see, there's no refrigeration. There's no get it all ready and the day of it's just popped there. There's tons, <clears throat> excuse me, tons of preparations to be made. And so the first invitation's out, right? And then there's the verse 17, the second invitation. Dinner's ready. You know, you guys do this all the time. Lisa and I had, had, had friends over recently, and, and we, you know what we did? We, we all got together. We were at the house, you know, having drinks and hors d'oeuvres and hanging out for an hour. And I'm on the grill or whatever. And, you know, after that hour, you know what I did? I came in and I said, it's ready. <laughs> Let's all sit down to eat. That's what's happening in 16 and 17. Now what happens next? Uh, it, this is unbelievable. To them, it's unbelievable. Even as it will be to us. Look at the guest excuses, 18 to 20. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. First one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yokes and five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. See, see, here's what happens. The invited guest who said, I'm in, we're there. When the second invitation, dinner's ready, they start making excuses. And if I can say this this way, they're stupid. They're ridiculous. They're like, what? And it's even on the surface of the text. When we read them and go, that, that makes no sense. You got to understand, the people listening to the parable, they're doing, the, the religious leaders are going, that makes no sense at all. In, an, in a land where every square inch has had someone's name on it for thousands of years, in a place where farmland is so scarce, you don't buy farmland without 
thoroughly checking it out. Where are the wells? Where's the drainage? Does it, ha- does it face the northern sun? Otherwise, I'm not going to grow it. You see, I'm saying, you don't, you don't buy the land before checking it out. You don't buy oxen, I wouldn't have known this, but you you don't buy oxen who are going to team pull without checking them out first because you may get one strong ox and one rather weak. They can't even pull together. You don't do that. You know, as Jesus is telling the story, all those rabbis, all the other people in the room are going, that's stupid, that's ridiculous, you don't do that. And Kenneth Bailey makes this note on the excuses and and the, the cadence itself. You know, when you read your Bibles, there's sometimes a cadence to the... To the, to the structure, the grammar. So it's like, you know, it's like ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump. Ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump. Ba-bump, ba-bump. It's what's missing. Well, what's missing is highlighted. You see what happens in this d- excuses? I did this. Now I must do this. Therefore, I need to be excused. First excuse, second excuse. I did this. Now I must do this. Therefore, I must be excused. Third excuse. I did this, can't come. <laughs> it's just like can't come. And, and it's, and I want to be appropriate in this, but the guy gets married. It's not his wedding day. He never had the banquet on the wedding day. It's this. It's, you know, I got married and I'm busy right now. It's that. Wait, we're at the dinner part. It's that. It's, and, and, and the guys are going, that's crazy. That's nuts. If I put it in a modern setting, it might be this, just to kind of get us riled up a little, to kind of go, this is nuts. Imagine you get a wedding invitation, you know, and then today, you know, it's, it's, you know, save the date. You know, it's like three invitations. Save the date. Here's the date. But you get a wedding invitation, and, and you're at the wedding. You're at the wedding. And the door's open in the back. And the bride and her dad are taking their step in. And as they do, everyone just starts getting up, leaving. You know, we'd all be going, there is no way in blankety blank that's happening. That just ain't going to happen, right? I mean, it's just like, no, no, no. They are saying to Jesus in their minds, they're going, Rabbi, that would never happen. No one rejects the second invitation. Now, just kind of sock that away in your mind's eye for a moment. You know, to reject the second invitation, quite frankly, in this culture, it, was a dec- it, it, was, it could be taken as a declaration of war. Are you getting this, how crazy it is? Because when you reject the second invitation, do you understand that, that you are publicly shaming the host? In other words, you got something against the guy to reject the second invitation. And they go, that, that, no, no, that, that, that's never gonna happen. Guests invited. Uh, guest excuses, and then notice the guest compelled, verses 21 to 23. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry. And he said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and blind and the lame. And the slave said, master, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. We'll stop there. Uh, one thing that everyone agrees on, the house, the, the, the host has a right to be angry. This is just anger. It's, it's what, what he does with that anger that whew, 
causes us to back away. But he, he has a right to be angry. They even know he has a right to be angry. Notice the servant is commanded to look up at the side screens. Bring them in. Uh, compel them to come in. You know, it wasn't just, at this point, it wasn't just invite, is it? It's a bit stronger. We'll talk about that in a moment. And notice that he brings in the local riffraff, if you will. It's still not full, so he brings in some riffraff from out there, from further beyond. Okay, now, when verse 24 hits them, y'all, it's like accidentally taking hold of a 220-volt wire. This, this is how it hits them. It's like, you know, you know, when you touch electricity, if y'all ever gotten shocked, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's so gross a pain, it's indescribable, isn't it? It's, it's that deep, like, oh, the marrow's cooking in my arm and I can't let go. It's just gross pain, deep, deep. This is how, this is how verse 24 hits them. It's just like, what? Because the story's over, Okay. The sting of the story is verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. Jesus, when he tells the story, right? When he's going through it grammatically, he's told in third person. There was a man. He did this. He sent his, right? It's all third person. The story's over. Verse 24, Jesus is Jesus. And it's I. He's looking at them and it's this, hey, the banquet you're talking about is mine. Everyone knows it. Jesus claims it for himself. It's mine. And those invited, you aren't even going to taste it. Religious leaders who, re- who reject him. Well, how do we know that's what that all means? Well, let me, let, me, let me put the pieces together. Let's do our Bible study and take a look at, the, at redemptive history and how this story puts redemptive history together. Uh, I'm going to show you first God's purpose and plan. Even as it's played out from Genesis to Revelation, it's shown here. It's, it's an amazing look. And, you know, I don't know about you, but there's, I'm going to go through some stuff here that some of you might be going, <laughs> I don't know. But for me, it's like, oh my goodness. Think of it this way. We're going to lay this template over the story. Um, in Genesis, God calls a man, Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make a nation through you. And through this nation, how many people are going to be blessed? How many countries? People. Oh, oh. Abraham, and, you know, believes God, right? And for thousands of years, the nation of Israel, you know, they, they, they were believing God. They didn't do it well at times that they were believing God. Now, now track with me on this. So God calls Abraham, I'm going to make a nation through you. Abraham, the nation, accept the first invitation. This is the first invitation. And they accept it. This is why there's no, you know, anti-Semitism is awful. It's wrong because we're grateful for the Jews. Because they said yes to the first invitation. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you, fathers of the faith. He said yes to the first invitation. We're grateful. Well, what happens after the first invitation to the banquet, to the dinner? Well, you got to prepare a lot. There's a lot that's got to be done to get ready, right? And so for thousands of years, the banquet's being prepared. And then the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent his 
son. That's what we're reading. Jesus came. And what did Jesus say? The kingdom is at hand here. Let me me retranslate that. Dinner's ready. Right? Dinner's ready. And then we think, let's think for a minute. Okay, Jesus said dinner's ready. Where's, Where's dinner? What did Jesus say? I am the bread. You're thirsty? Drink of me. I mean, this is the part that makes the hair stand up in my arms. I go, oh my gosh. Jesus is the second invitation. It's ready. Come and get it. It's me. Remember the story. They would all go, no one would reject the second invitation. But what are they doing? What did the religious leaders do? They'd said no to the second invitation. Is the banquet canceled? No way. The host says, go out into the city, the immediate area. And then you're going to go all the way out into the highways and byways. Again, let's, let's think biblically. Acts 1.8 said, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. This is Israel. Go out into the city to the Jews first. Well, there's still room. Then go into the highways, Acts 1.8, even to the remotest parts of the earth. You see that? It's like, oh my gosh, when those pieces come together in my mind, I'm going, what, Lord? That's amazing. This is the story of redemption. You just told it in a dinner conversation in two minutes. Well, what kind of so what? Okay, Lloyd, that's fabulous. What does it mean to me? What does it mean to us? Can I say this? Uh, let me give you at least one application. And I didn't think you know, I'd go here at all, but I'm going to go here. It's, I've been reading this week through 1 Kings and just in my devotion time, going through the Bible, reading through 1 Kings. And, and you know, I started underlining this phrase early in the week. And it was this phrase, and it happened according to the word of the Lord. And I'm reading along. Oh my gosh. And it happened according to the word of the Lord. <laughs> Just get tired of underlining. And it happened according to the word of the Lord. Well, what happened? Everything. <laughs> it's like uh, the guy's born. Uh, he's the king. But then the kingdom gets ripped to him. And his whole family's wiped off. Why? Uh, because it happened according to the word of the Lord. Because the Lord said it would happen like this. The widow starts pouring out the oil. And the oil never ends. It never ends. It never ends. Why does it never end? Because it's happening according to the word of the Lord. Why is this king here? And he's there for hundreds of years. But all of a sudden he's wiped out completely what happened. Well, he did this and God said it 300 years earlier, this is going to happen. And 300 years later, boom, it happened according to the word of the Lord. And so one application, maybe strange a bit, but one application that I lay, I actually draw it from the text is it all happens according to the word of the Lord. And when Jesus says, this is how it's going to be, and this is how it's all going to end, and this is who's going to be in the banquet and who's not, men and women, this is going to happen. It is happening, and it has happened. 
And it, what I hope it application-wise it might, might give you is a tremendous, uh, can I say, a, a greater confidence in the promise and promises of God. Y'all, there's no book like it on the planet. It, it, there's no religious writings, nothing that compares to the words of God. The veracity, the reliability, the historical the truthfulness, all of it is, is it's here. It's not in any other book or writing. No book makes the claim that it's the very words of God. But the Bible does, and then it proves that it is the word of God by what it teaches, by the prophecies that are fulfilled, by so many things. God, I hope you, here's, here's what I hope you get sorted out of this. It's like, oh my gosh, this is precious. Every word he said, it's true. And it's gonna happen just like Jesus says. Well, what about, what about this compel them? It says compel them to come in. Let me, th- this is a part that when I got into this section, and it was kind of one of those times when there were times I just went, oh Lord, that's what that, that's what that is. This phrase in verses 22 and 23, bring them in, compel them to come in. You kind of read it and you go, I mean, come on, is this an invitation or a forced march to the banquet? Well, it's, it's a genuine invitation. And it really begins to show us an amazing picture of the wonder of grace, if, if I can communicate it. Uh, this, this phrase, compel them to come, it was used, uh, unfortunately, it was used during the Spanish Inquisition. It was used during the Crusades, right? They, they, they used this text to justify killing people who didn't come in. Look, either you come in or I kill you. Look, I got this sword in your back. Get in the king. You know, it was, it was, they used it to justify that. And, and nothing could be further from the truth of what Jesus means by this. Uh, I, I, oftentimes, Bill, Michael, and I, Michael, and I, you know, we have an opportunity to study and read and read some amazing scholars and whatnot. And there are many times I think, man, I don't need to, I don't need to teach a mess. I just need to read what this guy said. It says it's so good. And, and I'm going to do that right now. So I want you to bear with me as I read from uh, Kenneth Bailey on, on this, pick this word compel. I mean, how do, how do we take it? He says it so well. I'll comment on it, but, but stick with me. Get, think with me as I, as I read this. We're answering the question, uh, what, what does this mean to compel? And is it, is it forceful? Are people going against their will? Uh, not at all. Here's what he says. The key word here is compel. In the Middle East, the unexpected invitation must be refused. The refusal is all the more required if the guest is of a lower social rank than the host. Please understand this. That if, if someone wealthy invites someone poor, it's appropriate for the lesser status person to say no, to refuse the, the, the initial invitation. The unexpected guest may be half starving and in real need of the offered food, but he still senses a deep cultural pressure to refuse. And then Bailey goes on to say, we've got an example of this in Luke 24 when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus. And this just, I mean, I thought this was so great. I never understood this fully, but you know, Jesus walks with the two guys on the road to Emmaus and then all of a sudden, ding, 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 it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And they get to where it's time to go to, go to bed, they're done. And, 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 and Jesus says, I must go on. And, and they have to convince him to come back. 
In this case, Jesus is choosing the lesser and they're saying, hey, we got food for you, Jesus, stay. And Jesus says, no, I must go on. That's what's happening in this. Bailey explains it like this. Uh, as a courteous oriental, Jesus made as though he would go on. In other words, they say, stay with us. And he goes, no, I must go on. The, the two men, again, in true Middle Eastern fashion, compel him to stay. He's not forced against his will. This is interesting. Rather, they know that he must refuse them for the first 15 minutes as a matter of honor. In order to convince him that they really do want him to stay, they really do have food, they gently drag him into the house. They compel him to stay. Even so in this parable, we have a classical case of an unexpected invitation from someone of a higher rank. The, the, the offer, you see, when the slave goes out to the lame, the poor, to sinners like you and me, to the broken to the ones who can't pay him back. You see, when that servant comes and says, the king, the, you, you, he's got this wonderful banquet for you. They, no, I can't. And then the servant must compel them. And then Bailey says this, and this absolutely undid me. There's no other way to convince him, the, serp, the, the broken, the poor, that he's really invited to the great banquet irrespective of their status. Why? Because grace is unbelievable. Wait, wait, wait. Because grace is unbelievable. What does he mean? It means when you and I, it dawns on us that we are lame, poor, impoverished, and crippled when it dawns on us that we have no way to get into the banquet or repay the host for the banquet. Can I say this? When it dawns on us that, that what we've done doesn't deserve his food, it deserves his wrath, and he comes and says, come on in. The dinner's... Can't. I'm not, I can't. And so what does the host do? He comes them to come. Oh my gosh. So, so that moment when I, when I knew I didn't deserve it, I, I, would never have, I would never have gone to the banquet unless God had compelled me by grace. It's why I believe the Bible teaches and I'm, I understand that, that, that salvation in a reformed perspective that all of us in our fallen state, we would never want to go to the banquet. We, we, we couldn't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. You don't know what I've done. I, there's just no way all that I've done can be washed away and that you're going to set me at this banquet and not expect anything from me and that you're going to do it all. No way. No way. No way. No, no. And that's why God, God must come and can I say it this way? Put the want to in us by his grace. And then we go, oh my, and we, we're at the banquet. Why? Because he compels us. By his grace. Mm. I, I want to end this way. Um, because I want you to have this thought coming out of this parable this week. And oftentimes, you know how you get a song in your head. And all week long, you just, you know, you're singing it. That's what Taylor Swift does to me. You know, she gets these songs and they sing, it's the truth. And next thing I know, I just, I'm singing, you know. I'm singing, it's crazy. Well, here's a, here's a, uh, 
we're going to sing a song. Uh, if you guys would, would come on out, Jason and the crew come out. We're gonna, I'm going to put this song in your mind. Because when we look at this story, I want us mindful of God's grace. Because, can I say it this way? It's, it's, it's a gift. You understand? It's a gift to actually know that you're crippled, lame, broke, and sick. That's a gift. We wouldn't, we wouldn't own it unless God just let us see it. And then, but then when we see it, we go, I can, I'm not worthy. And then he goes, I'm going to gently compel you to understand how much I love you and accept you in my son, Jesus. I've got this little, I got the lyrics up here because I listened to this and, and it just hit me. I heard, it hit me when I heard this and from Mumford and Sons, all the Mumford and Sons fans out here, you know, this, the song, Roll Away Your Stone, he says this phrase, and I think it's, uh, I, I, I see it even in the text itself. It seems that all my bridges have been burned, but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change my heart, but the welcome I receive with the restart. What, what do, I, I, I view it this way. In other words, it's not, I'm so far from God, but you know, as I walk towards God, I'm going to get it. It's going to, no, 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 no. It's, it's before I ever make a move toward God, in his grace, he, mirac I don't know how, he miraculously puts it in my mind. I'm welcome. Before I ever take a step, I'm welcome. And when that explodes in our heart. We go, oh, grace, grace, God's grace, your amazing grace. It's not the walk toward him that changes our hearts. It's that welcome of grace in all of our fallenness. Let's stand together and let us sing of this great, great grace.